What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love show where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am so honored today to welcome my guest, Rex Sykes. Hi, Rex. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm great. Rex is Oh my gosh. Like I just have so much respect and love for this man. Uh, Rex Steven Sykes has four decades of experience helping people transform their life. His innovations include mind design, directed questions, and the attitude activator. Rex is an expert on whole brain and accelerated learning, the law of attraction, and transformational life design. He's the founder of Idea Seminars, and he conducts programs on transformation, mind design, and how to create your best life ever. He's appeared before millions in television, radio interviews, and commentary. He's consulted for attorneys and news media, offering commentary on famous trials and celebrities. His clients include attorneys, CEOs, sales professionals and managers, medical doctors, law enforcement, personnel managers, small business owners, uh, training uh, training personnel, investors, teachers, and educational excuse me, administrators and actors, filmmakers, and professional speakers. What these clients all share in common is the desire to live their best life. And with Rex, it's possible. And it is because I've been a witness to this the last year and a half. Welcome, Rex. I'm so excited that you're here with me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. You are a powerhouse and a positive source of, of influence and, and, and good things in the world. So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be happier than to be here with you this, at this time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I reflect you back to you. <laughs> uh, okay. So I always ask an icebreaker question that's, kind of not related to what we're going to talk about, but related to what we're going to talk about. And so you and I were just talking before we started recording about your experience in the acting world. And I want to know what you learned about yourself by being in the acting world. Wow, that's a great question. It really, I mean, it really is. I've encouraged everybody from all walks of life to take acting lessons because it is it is an opportunity to to explore who you are and what you can bring to the table. You know, a lot of people say they're shy or that they're uh, not able to do things. But if they get out and they just express themselves and have fun and enjoy it, even if it's a community college or a community theater or, you know, uh, some kind of ch- child playground uh, um, program, <clears throat> you learn that you can do it. You know, there were, I, when I was a young actor, I used to do like, cause I grew up loving Groucho Marx. So I had all these kind of facial, you know, facial animated expressions. Things. Yeah. And my acting coach time said, you know, if you're on a 40 foot screen and you're raising your eyebrows like that, nobody's going to watch you for very long. You're never going to get tired. <laughs> you need to stop that. So it was learning how to eliminate bad habits, things that we do, you know, our mannerisms and then learn how to, to, to practice and rehearse. Um, things that you could incorporate in your life. 
So even you know, it, what I discovered was I could I could have a positive attitude by pretending, by acting to be positive. And uh, it was something I did as a child. My parents put me in acting classes when I was four and then dancing and acrobatics when I was three. So I've, I've always been in an acting class in one way, shape, form or another. And, and then I bring that to the, everything I do. So it's truly a, a beautiful way to learn self-expression um, and to to overcome um Thoughts of limitation about ourselves by by actually practicing, rehearsing, and then doing. Were your were your parents in the acting world? No, and they had no no wish or desire for me to be. They just felt that it was the thing that would be well rounded. You know, the kid would be exposed to the arts, and they gave me piano lessons. I don't play the piano to this day, but they, <laughs> but they gave me piano lessons and in uh, all these. How things. about acrobats? Do you still do cartwheels? Nope, nope, nope. I should, but I don't. I actually. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, at about at 11, I had a, a very severe knee, a toral tendons. And actually, I was 12, uh, toral tendons and ligaments for my knees and ankles in a, in a gymnastic accident. So that kind oh, of ouch. that aspect of what I was doing. And were your were your parents very positive? No. What were, what were they like? No, my, my parents were good people. They were both professionals. They're both doctors. My mom was one of the first doctors in, in the state that she worked in. And um and uh, and people didn't like a woman doctor at that time in the fifties and sixties. Mm. You know, she was and, a trailblazer. Yeah, she indeed she was. And um, but they weren't real positive. They were always, you know, my dad would always say to me, you know, Rex, you got a dark cloud following you around, and <gasps> always, you know, prepare for the future. What if you're alone? What if you don't have money? They were very, they they had money, but they were very generous to me with their money. But they were very tight with their money. It's always we don't have this, we don't have that. We, you know how much this costs, and because they um, probably grew up in an era where they didn't have much money growing up. Right. Uh-huh. So, so I would say, I mean, they were loving but not very gregarious. They didn't express it. They didn't. We didn't hug or any of that kind of stuff. They were just kind of like, "I love you." <coughs> so, by the time I was twelve or thirteen, I felt like there were these major holes in me, um, where I just didn't know what they were. I felt for some reason, unlikable and unwantable. And, you know, and, and I went through the child abandonment thing. Like, you know, I could come home and my kids, my parents wouldn't be there. Those, those kinds of fears that kid had. Um, but I, I always respected and admired and, and loved them. I mean, I thought that they, they, they were really good people doing the best they could mm-hmm. with what they had at the time. They just didn't have uh, anything that, that, you know, would point me in the direction of being positive or, uh, but by that, I don't mean, you know what I mean? I mean, and they were very, they were also very much ahead of themselves in, 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 or not ahead of themselves, but ahead of the time in that they were very, they embraced diversity and respect for all people. So they really set a good foundation of being a, for me to be a moral, loyal, trustworthy, honest person. I, I, I wouldn't do things because I would feel that, you know, I would disappoint my parents, you know, more than disappointing me at the time. But, uh-huh. but like I wouldn't have parties when they went away because I was like, if somebody came in and broke something for my mom and dad, I'd feel really bad that, that I betrayed their trust. So wow. I grew up always wanting to be, you know, a demonstration of, of being honest and transparent and trustworthy and, 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 and to put that forward. So that, and do you have siblings? I do have, I have a sibling. Yes, I have a sister. Uh-huh. And she's a, a journalist and an author and a film producer and a, an activist. She produced a movie called Equal Means Equal and the, and the uh, fifth, the, the uh, ratifying the uh, Equal Right Amendment. And, and uh, she's been nominated for Emmys. Wow. Uh, things like that. And now she's doing stand-up comedy. Wow. 
So she she developed a love for the arts as well. Oh, indeed. Well, we both did. I grew up doing magic and mind reading, and she grew up doing puppetry, you know, and stuff like that. So acrobatics, acting, and and performance has always been in both of our lives. Okay, magic and mind reading. Uh, okay, now the rest of your life makes sense to me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay, because this is interesting. I I always wonder why people get into what they get into, and it's so funny because I think a lot of times we don't recognize that the things that we were drawn to and when we were younger. It really sets the foundation for what our purpose is. And, and, and I know in your book, you talk a lot about your purpose being the driving force of everything that, that you do. Well, yeah, I mean, when I, it, it, historically I was about four, I was sitting watching movies on my mom's lap and uh-huh. one of them uh, was Dog Soup with the Marx Brothers. I went, I want to do that. That's funny. I want to do that. Fence the Groucho Marx mannerisms. I was five when I saw the movie Houdini with Tony Curtis and went, oh, I've got to do that. Uh-huh. And uh, by the time I was eight, I was doing it, you know, and I was, I was also exploring mind reading and things because at the age of six, I, w- I had been raised Catholic, and I we'd have to go to mass before school and, and on Sundays. And um, I thought this priest has some kind of mystical connection with God, mm-hmm. so I wanted to be a mystic. So you know, an actor. A you magician. you are, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, and no, and I, I I am. I'm very much so. But um, I asked my mom at the age of six. I because we did have positive books in the house. We had the Little De Bronze, Think and Grow Rich, the Bhagavad Gita, and other books you know, of that day. Um, and I said, I, I need, you know, read me these books. So she started, I think, with the little Gabron, and then we went into the Bhagavad Gita, and then finally we got to Think and Grow Rich. And um, by the time I was 11, I was reading the books on my own, and I've been reading Think and Grow Rich almost every day of my life since then, because um, I realized that when I said when I was 11, 12, and I felt like I had this hole, I needed some kind of help. Uh-huh. So while I was reading it, here's here's the thing that people ought to know. Reading is great. I mean, I have my book, Life on Your Terms, and, and you should read it and, and read it. But and you should. I did. But it's not just reading. Yeah. The reading won't transform you. It's the application of what you learn that's important. So I recently was in back in home in, in California for this Can You Really Think and Grow Rich? And, and uh, one of the uh, primary principal players in the Napoleon Hill Foundation said, teach who runs the, the, the school there. Um, I said, look, I read Thinking Grow Rich from the time I was six until the time I was about 25, with the exception of about a year prior to that. And, and in, I talk about it in my book, how I got into trouble and what happened to me. But, but during that year before I got into difficulty um, with my own mindset, my own life, I, I wasn't reading it. I was focused on my career and things were falling apart and things weren't going well and and uh, and uh, and then I had the event that I talk about in the book, but the uh, but he came up to me and he said, you know, not many people will admit to doing something but not applying it. And I said, but that's what my life was about. I had read this thing for more than more than eleven years, more than twelve years, almost fifteen years, but didn't apply it. Mm-hmm. After I had a crisis in my life when I tried to kill myself and everything else, I went. I got to get back on track. And that's where I locked myself into my apartment for six weeks, a minimum of six weeks, with me, a little longer than that, but, you know, and, and sat in this chair and said, I'm not going to leave until I can, can claim my life back. 
And, and that's where I discovered how to do directed questions and take control of my mind and power of attitude and all sorts of stuff. But it, but it came at that point of saying, okay, I know all this stuff, but I'm not doing all this. Right. Stuff. And so that's the that's the, the the deepest one of the deepest understandings that you and I can pass along to people is it's one thing to know what we should do. It's another thing to actually do that. And when you do it, that's why the acting lessons is important. And when you actually get in and you act and you do it and you rehearse, I mean, consider this for a second. Actors, as well as all performance, but actors get their lines and they get stage directions. And they have to, you know, convey these emotions, whether they're in a play or on camera. And they rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. For example, a play will rehearse at least six weeks. Mm-hmm. So that on opening night, it looks like it's happening for the first time ever. Right. But it's very well rehearsed. And what that means is that they're practicing. And you can practice spiritual principles and emotional principles and mental principles and financial principles and transformational principles. If you practice them, you can get good at them. But most people won't practice them and they won't do them enough. The same way people go to the gym on New Year's Day and they go for two or three weeks and then they give it up. Right. But those people who go and make it a, a practice that throughout the year they go a number of times and then it's through the years they do it, they learn that they can recondition themselves in positive ways and experience all sorts of wonderful joy and, and possibilities that they wouldn't otherwise have because you can't dip and dabble. you got to actually dive in. Well, that I... I've heard it called, uh, you know, people call it self-help, but when it, when you don't apply it, it's just shelf help. I didn't come up with it, but I just thought it was clever. It's shelf help because you, you're not, you're not applying it. And this is, this is the beauty of your work is because you live, you live it. And I think that, and I think that all of us, uh, it has to become who we are. It's not just what we do. It becomes who we are. It's how we embody the things that we want more of in our life. Absolutely. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was formulating my, my, my own approach to things, which was a blend of meditation and thinking grow rich and the later neurolinguistic programming and all these things, what I called mind design and directed questions, um, I discovered because I did a lot of therapy workshops. I did a lot of encounter groups. I wanted to learn to open myself up as well as be able to present these things to mm-hmm. other people to teach. I wanted to get as good as I could in the, in the mental and spiritual arts, you know, in yeah. science so that I, so that I, I was a legitimate voice. What I, um, what I found was I would go to some of these workshops and you would sit like in chairs and touch each other's knees and look each other in the face meaningful for about six hours and it would be done. You come back the next day and you do that for a month. That's how the, like the early NLP seminars were. And it was all very kind of cerebral. And so when I started doing seminars, I wanted it to be experiential. It's not the information that changes you, but the experience and the ability to dive in. So whether I did a one day, retreat or a three-day retreat or ultimately a 15-day or, or longer retreat because later I, I i had a 100 acre resort re- retreat center that we that we wow about a decade it wasn't mine we rented it every year for the duration of the year but <clears throat> the point was that people 
in order to have change, you have to have an experience. It's not just knowing about something. It's having that experience of transformation. So you want people to be able to have a taste of it. Right. It's kind of like going to a buffet. You can look at all the food and go, I don't want any of it. Or, I don't like that. Or I like that, but I don't want that. And someone say, well, try this. And you're not going to try it. But, but if you don't try it, you don't have any experience of it. You don't know if you like it or not. Right. You can go, that's not for me. Or you can try and go, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Right. But you have to have the experience. And life is like a buffet. So instead of avoiding experiences, like try them, you know, experience it. And I'm not saying do illegal things, obviously, but I'm saying, you know, dive in. And, and have the experience and, and notice how you change as a result of that. If you don't do it, you won't do it. And it, it, and frankly, it's a reconditioning process. It's just like, like what I talked about going to the gym. If you, you know, but there's, there's, there's good news on all fronts regarding that. You can change in so many ways. But, but we literally workshops back in the 70s and 80s were very, some were very confrontive and physically experiential and others were very cerebral and, and, but none of them were very celebrative or happy or positive or it was all, these are serious issues people are trying to break down. And I'm like, I, you don't end up solving your serious issues by being serious about them. <laughs> it's kind of like fighting fire with fire. You don't, you know. I, Yes, on the fire. I'm fighting for peace. It's like, exactly. huh? that doesn't make sense. That is so, that's exactly right, God. I mean, people hate, you know, you can't, you can't get loving by hating. You don't get right. peace by fighting. And so you have to do something different. So, so my, my practice was how do I, I bring meditation? I bring the whole, how the brain works and bring gratitude and expressiveness and enthusiasm and exuberance to things. And when you learn that way and it's fun, you're learning how most children learn. They're out there chasing butterflies. They're rolling around in the sand. Nowadays, they're on their iPhones. But in the old days, they actually used to play outside and walk around in the mud and get wet in the rain and ride their bikes and stay out until the streetlights were on, you know, that kind of thing. So, so it was an experience. And you learned more as a child through play than you actually learned in school. Mm -hmm. I think of everything you learned to get to school, and then they sat you down and made you learn book stuff. Where you right, cerebral. Right, went back to being screaming. Okay, where does your heart fit into all of this? Where does it not? <laughs> yes. It's all heart. You know, now neuroscience is, is, is validating what the ancients knew decades ago. I mean, if, if you just look at the, the notion of the chakras, it tells you everything you want to know about the world. There's okay. Three. Okay. For people, for people who don't know about the chakras, give a little oh, energy, energy centers. There's the, the root at the tailbone, and then there's the, the what they call the sex, you know, around your genitals. And there's the gut, which they call your power center. And then there's the heart, and there's communication. Then there's your third eye or psychic, and then there's spiritual. I mean, in a nutshell, right? Yeah. The heart. There's three above and three below, and the heart's right in the middle. Hmm. The heart, the, everything goes through the heart. You know, if it goes up or goes down, it passes through the heart. And nowadays, science is, is validating this. You know, in the old days, they talked about you had different paths. You had paths to enlightenment, like the spiritual or psychic realm, or the path of sadhana or surrender or love and service. So you had you had two different paths, which are really one path. And now science is going. Hey, isn't it amazing? The brain has a certain uh, resonance and the heart has a certain resonance, but together they create this incredible coherence. And this is what ancients knew centuries ago, that, you know, they had to be aligned 
you know, in order to, to, to really embrace your, your fullness of, of being. When your head and your heart are aligned and you're, you're dedicated to a mission or a purpose, then everything starts working in order. Then you can use your power, you know, and all the other stuff to, to, to get what it is that you intend to get. But it should always be heart centered. And, and what we've lost in this world is, is our heart. More people are cerebral. They're fighting over beliefs and, and things that are, are silly as opposed to saying, you know what? I love you. Let's figure out a way to work together. Mm, yeah. I feel like there's this whole sense of <clears throat> people are, people are in their heads and they're, they're fear based and they're, you know, worried about climbing the ladder or kind of these power over structures. Um, and I feel like they have disconnected from their hearts because emotional emotions have not been valued or validated or honored. So how do we, how do we, how do we re um, what's the word I want to use? Like re-engage with, with our whole system. Well, you know, the, the notion is be, do, and have. You are it, then you can do it, and then you will have it. The mm. whole world has it backwards. It has do it so you can have it so that you can be it. Mm. So people, and, and, and back in the, uh, Freud came out with his philosophy and, and his nephew, a guy named Edward Bernays, took it. You know, at one time we were in agrarian culture and, and a need-based culture. So if you needed another cow, you got another cow. If you needed another tractor, you got another tractor. You didn't go, I want five tractors just to have five tractors. Right. We became an industrialized society where people moved from the farms to the cities. And now they were hired. They were employed. And at that time, in many ways, without any unions, without any protections, without any child labor laws or anything, you know, it's very grueling. And, and horrific experience, but it was what people knew. Bernays came in to the factories and said, I, using my uncles, he didn't say his uncles, but I, using these approaches, can, can get people to buy more of this stuff. They, he wanted to, they wanted to create a want-based society. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, the, and the field was called propaganda, which should tell you everything. Wow. <laughs> that field called propaganda quickly became re- renamed. Do you know what that name became? The government. Public, public relations. Ooh. And most PR people today don't know the roots of public relations. It started as a wow. way of getting people to separate their money to want things. Like so so how did they do it? They created fear and scarcity. Scarcity and money. lack. You got yellow teeth and flaky hair and bad skin and, and smelly pits. You need this. And if you want to be part of that community, you need this. And if you want to be part of that, you need this car. You need two TV sets. You need a bigger house. You need that. So it all was a drive to get the people who were working to spend their money back to the corporations. And Ford, at least Henry Ford, people like him and don't like him for a number of reasons. But Ford said, I will never create a car that the worker on my plant can't afford. Well, nowadays, most people can't afford these cars. I mean, you know, the cars cost more than a home in many cases nowadays. And I'm not talking about Bentleys and, you know, Bugattis. And I'm talking about, you know, you know, a, a regular car costs thirty sixty thousand dollars I mean, right. not that more than was, some people's annual, more than a lot of people's annual salary. And, and, <clears throat> and then they go, it's not the, the amount of money you pay. It's the size of the payment so that they get people enrolled right. in, in debt for the rest of their lives. And this is this has been a huge issue. And um, what sadly is the case is a lot of the thought leaders of today perpetuate that myth. Mm. They tell you you have to do more 
Because if you do more, then you'll have all these things. If you do just take massive action and do these things, you can have these kinds of houses and cars and jets and everything. And they buy right into the very thing that Bernays had got everybody convinced the corporations did. Instead of saying, how do you get free of this thing and how do you be more so that you can do more, so that you can have more, they, they've lost the person over the action. Yeah. Take these actions and you can succeed. And so you'll see all this stuff. Of, what is success? It's hard work, this, that, and the other. All these people do all these things. But it's not about being that success. It can be, obviously. But if you're your authentic self, if you're living from your heart and you're loving your life, there are people out there who have virtually nothing around the world, but who are deliriously happy and have yeah. wonderful relationships. They live in their mud huts. They eat their, their, their sparse, sparse food, you know, but they're thrilled and they're, love, they're in love with life. And then there are those people, and I've spent countless hours in their homes, who have everything. Everything that, plus. Everything. And they're sad and they're miserable and they're going, I, I suck. I don't like myself. What can you do to help me? And I'm like, well, I can't help you. You have to help yourself. I can show you how, but you have to do the work. And they're like, well, I'll pay you anything. I mean, it's not about the money. It's about you have to become an authentic person. It, it can't be, you can't be in pursuit of. So. Per, pursuit of, okay, this is deeply philosophical. But I feel like so many people carry this sense of loneliness yes. and disconnection within themselves. And so they're constantly looking for everything external to fill them up and make them feel worthy. Yeah. Well, and, and that's how I felt as a child. That's why I said I started to read these things and do these things. And then I didn't apply it because I didn't know. I mean, even though it says in these books, do this, like in my book, I keep saying, do these things. And if you do right. that. But what I what I want to do and, you know, with helping people is give them bite sized things that they can do that are fun and enjoyable enough so that they can transform along the way. So right. it's not it's not this major change everything in your life thing where which because most people won't do that. It's, it's here's how you incorporate these things in in a in an easy, realistic, fun fashion where you can get the most return on your investment. So, it, you know, it is about living life on your terms. It's about creating the life that you want. And where I came into my power really was after my crisis and I spent my time working on myself and I decided, I, you know, I want to share this. I was like, I looked around and I went, I'm as far as I know, I mean, we believe in reincarnation or not. I'm here this time. I mean, right. even, if I, even if I've had millions of lives, it doesn't really matter. I'm here, I'm right here now. now. Yeah. So how do I want to spend now? And I realized this is my planet. This is a garden. There's, there's, and I am the owner of this. This is this, and I claimed it. I'm like, I own this planet. And I, and I say this a lot. I own Los Angeles. It's my city. And, and, and people in LA think, oh, you're such an egotist. <laughs> I go, because I own it. I have co-owners. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not walking through people's backyards. I'm just saying I have co-owners. But when I claimed that this is mine, it meant that I could then be responsible for taking care of it. And it was up to me to make it what I wanted to be. You know, there's a saying that things don't happen to you. They happen for you. Yeah. Which I love because I, I do think that that's true. And, and secondly, I tell people, and they, they have a harder time with this one, it seems in some ways, that people don't happen to you. They happen for you. Mm hmm. So the very people and the very events and circumstances in your life that are the most difficult or egregious or the ones you least like are truly gifts and blessings for you to help wake you up 
so that you can go, okay, I'm not going to live that way anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start living purposefully with intention, and I'm going to live life on my terms, and I'm going to create this life that I want, and I'm going to celebrate everything. I'm going to make this the most wonderful experience that I can make on the time that I'm here. And if I come back, then I'll do it all over again, or I will have stepped up a bit. If I never come back, at least this experience has been fabulous. And so how do I live a life of joy and love and compassion and peace and service and help other people do the same thing? Right. And then that that means, that means you have to take responsibility. Absolutely. And, and, and okay. So here's my question because you had your, trauma and drama and, you know, your, your challenge in your life. And when you're in the midst of that, it's hard to see all of the other possibilities. So I think that a lot of times people stay stuck in that this sucks. I don't like this. I can't, I feel powerless. I can't do anything about this. So how, how do we help People, I mean, because it's the, I know it's their responsibility, but how can, how can we help them become creator as opposed to your victim? You're not responsible. You're powerless. You don't have any choices. I mean, there's a whole mindset, which you talk a lot about. How do, how do we help people? How do we teach that to people? Because even your dad said, Oh, Rex, you have a black cloud over your head. So you, so you're living your life thinking, well, I guess I just have a black cloud over my head. Right. I thought I was completely unlucky and that bad things were just destined to happen to me. And there was no, you know, it wasn't my choice. It was not my, my fault. For somewhat. And again, a lot of people live like this. So this is a, a, a beautiful and a very worthwhile question, Don. I'm going to use an analogy or, or what happens to the world. And it's going to break down at a certain point because because there's, as every analogy or every example does, there could be a counterexample or yeah, but wait. Right. But the, uh, the Boy Scout, Girl Scout motto was always be prepared. So if you're going camping, pack for your camping trip. If you're going fishing. That's why I overpack, because I was a Girl Scout. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Breakthrough. <laughs> no, it's funny because my kids are like, you always overpack. And I said, well, I need to, you know, I need to be prepared for this and this and this. And what if this happens? <laughs> Yeah, That's so no. funny. Okay, thank well, but, you. But it's true. But it's true. But but the you know, and and growing up in the fifties and sixties and seventies, you know, we had the notion of of you know, duck and cover and getting under our desk. And people had built uh, bomb shelters at the right. time, and they and my parents did. They stocked up food. We didn't have a bomb shelter. I kept saying, "Why don't we have a bomb shelter? Don't we need one of these things?" And they go. But they stocked water and canned food. They had a whole thing, and they had it in the basement, and they had it in the upstairs in the pantry, and I mean, and they toilet opened. paper. The last couple. Of- a year's supply, you know, in case in case we had this thing, you know, and being raised being raised in the religion I was, they were told, well, you're the first to go, you know, the Soviets will come in and they're going to kill you all, and and blah blah. blah. So, you know, you need to know how to hide and do all this stuff. Well, so the the good part about that was that people were preparing for an impending catastrophe that might never come. But but nowadays people are doing the same thing, but with the idea that I'll shoot anybody who tries to get my stuff. You know, in marauding, you know, my neighbor, if they want my food stocks, I, I, I'm armed, which this is why I say it's I don't like the analogy. But the point is, it's just being prepared. The actor prepares before the performance. The musician prepares before the performance. The speaker prepares before the performance. The attorney prepares before the trial performance. You know, doctors spend years learning how to 
do surgery or to, you know, to do what they do before they're actually called on doing it. What happens with most people is they don't prepare their mindset and their emotional set, their spiritual set, or even their financial set or the behavior set. They just let whatever happens in the world happen. And then when it happens, they don't know what to do. It's like the rug is pulled out from them and they find themselves in a crisis. Right. And our whole world, while I think is absolutely beautiful, there's, there's, there's different things at play. You know, the universe is expanding, but while it expands, it, it's breaking down. There's entropy, there's chaos. It's just part of the process. It's like your muscles, when you lift dumbbells, the muscle breaks down in order to grow. Right. You know, there's, there's a process. So, right. so all of this is part of a process. And what's required of us is to understand that if we want to, there's one of my favorite quotes is, if you want to enjoy enduring success, one must travel a little in advance of the world. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 like what you do. You prepare to go on your trip. You pack in, in order to have things. Um, the world, media, government, religion, your friends, your neighbors, your family, everybody has bought into this Bernays illusion, but it's not just his. It's been going on since the dawn of humankind that you need to conform and that the world has horrible stuff. Think about this for a second. The news, people say, I don't watch the news because it's all bad news. <clears throat> it's true. But that's what the news is. There's, they don't have a good news show. That's not what news is. Why is, why is news so extraordinary? Because it's not the, what's actually going on. It's the exception to what's going on. Mm. There are better weather days than there are bad weather days. There are more good people in the world than there are bad people. There are more positive events happening every single moment of the day than there are bad ones. So why does it make news? Because it's an anomaly. It's, 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 it's something that happens out of the norm. But what they've convinced us is that this bad news is the norm. This is the world. It's a horrible, bad, damaging place. And if you don't toe the line and if you aren't conditioned properly, if you don't pay, you know, if you're not a good national government, you know, religious, whatever, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're going to fall by the wayside. So it's all a, it's all a mindset conditioning process. And we bought into it. We're a victim. We are. Yeah, exactly. And that's the first two letters of propaganda too. Mm propaganda, public relations, the PR, you know. So they've convinced most of us that we're, my son, when he was 16, came to me and said, Dad, you think the world's ending? And I said, why do you say that? He goes, well, what's going on and with the political climate and all these bad things? And I, and I said, you know, what I just what I just said, there's better, more good things than bad things. Yeah. And while bad things seem to prevail, what we need to do is find the good. So, for example, when 9-11 happened in an egregious moment in our world, but think about that. We celebrate 9-11. We celebrate a tragedy because it doesn't happen every day. Mm-hmm. Right? But it was, an, it was a horrible thing for 3,000 people who lost their lives and their families. It was a horrible thing. But when that happened, people actually ran to the site to help people. To help people. They ran in afterwards, and they got debilitating and deadly diseases because of the toxic chemicals that were released. But they went in. You know, there were first responders, not just paid first responders, but when there's a car accident, people go to the car accident, yeah. you know, trying to help people. We are really much better than we think we are, and that's why I wrote my book, because what we think makes it so. Right. And if you're thinking that you're not enough or that you can't do it 
or that you have problems that nobody else can have or that you can't solve, you need to learn how to rethink that. You need to stop and let go of it and release that and then learn how to think productively and positively so that you can create the life that you want because anyone can. The beautiful thing about Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're, you're right. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But he said something else that to me was even more profound. But but I love that quote. He said, I never let what I cannot do prevent me from doing what I can do. Mm. And a lot of people get stuck and go, I can't do this. And therefore, they don't get where they want to go. But the question becomes is, what can you do? Well, what you can do is you can read a book. You know, you can read my book. You can learn how to do what you need to do in order to get ahead. You can begin applying these principles. You can begin managing your mindset. You can begin falling in love with yourself. You can begin transforming your life and your experience. You can begin helping other people. You know, they say if you're depressed, one of the best things you can do is go help somebody who has a bigger problem than you do. Yeah. Because when you're depressed or sad or whatever, most of the focus is on is on, you know, the person, on the problem, right. else. by helping somebody else, you get your attention off yourself, off the problem, and onto somebody else, and, and, and you're, you know, in doing that, there's what's called mirror neurons, by the way, you know, in our, in our own neurology, so we, we create this simpatico, this rapport, we also create a different form of energy, and everything is energy, and, it, you know, so you're transforming right. the energy, it's a beautiful thing to be able to help other people like what you're doing with your podcast, with your show and with all of the, all of the work you do to help people. Yeah. So how, so how do you, okay. I think a lot of people can maybe potentially see what they want, Mm -hmm. but they feel like it's so far away. How could I possibly get there? Because it seems too much, too big, too, too overwhelming. So how do you help people recognize the baby steps along the way? Well, how do you climb a ladder? (coughs) One step at a time. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's one of those things that, that shouldn't be lost on people at one time when the, when people in this country were on the East coast settlers and wanted to get to the West coast, it took them, Months, years, decades to get across right. the country. And, right. and they got to the Grand Canyon. And here's this big asshole in the ground. And yet still people made it to Seattle and to California and to Mexico. I mean, you know, they, they didn't let it stop them. Some died along the way. Some, you know, dropped out along the way. Some settled wherever they settled. But people were able to do it. It's not how far it is. It's whether you take that tiny baby step toward it. You know, a journey of a thousand steps they say begins with a single step or a thousand miles begins with a single step. Right. I changed that quote a little bit. The first step on that journey of a thousand miles is this, the decision step. It's the thought step that I'm going to go on this journey. Then it's the physical step on the ground. That's important. If you don't make the decision to go, you'll never go. So people who look at something and go, well, that just seems impossible. I'll never be able to do it. Yes, it does right now. But if you start taking simple, easy steps, this is why I did this in the book. I want to give you simple, easy, positive steps that you can do where it's broken down small enough where it's easy to do, but not not so easy that it doesn't have any meaning or that it's boring. Right. Or that you want to have it so that it's significant and meaningful. I'm going to give you simple, easy steps that you can do that get you to your destination. And by the way, if if you understand this, if if here's my destination and here's where I am and I want to get over here, if I'm focused on here and I look at this gulf, 
then it seems like a long way. And, I, and what am I actually focused on? I'm not focused on where I want to be. I'm focused on the gap between the, the two. gap. Yeah. If I'm focused on the gap, I'm missing. I'm totally missing everything because the gap is the thing that gives people the, the most difficulty. You have to actually imagine that you're already at your destination and what that would be like. I mean, that would be the, the first, you know, one of the first steps of creating. I'm here. I'm there. I, I've already got what I want. Now, how did I get there? Is a good question to ask. What did I do? What were the first steps that I took? What could I do? Maybe I had to read a book. Maybe I had to do a, a workshop or a program. Maybe I had to buy an audio program. Maybe I had to do some exercises. Maybe I had to meditate. Maybe I had to do self-hypnosis. Maybe I had to go to a therapist. Maybe I had to do whatever. But what is it that I can do that gets me moving in that direction? Again, if you're focused on the gap, you, you're never going to go because, you know, or you're going to move very slowly. Mm-hmm. So the journey, how you journey is important. I, as a kid, <laughs> yeah. on the floor of the car when my parents would travel across country and go, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I hate this. I don't like this. I don't want to go on trips. I hate this. You know, and then when I got there, I was happy, but I didn't like the process and the process could take days. Right. You know, to get across country or whatever. And so I was miserable the whole time. Well, what that taught me later was it's important to enjoy the journey every step along the way. Because if you enjoy the journey, whether you get to your destination or, or not, shouldn't matter because you're having, you're thrilled all along the way anyway. But you get to your journey faster and easier and, and because you're enjoying it. Whenever you're not enjoying it, you're setting up roadblocks for yourself. You're, you're, you're literally looking for all the reasons why you can't do it or you don't like it or whatever. And so it's going to take you longer if you're angry or frustrated or you do what a lot of thought leaders do. Go, just take math. I did that. My girls are here. And I, I shook the deck and they think it's that. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but that, but so the, just take massive action and you'll figure it out. You don't need to take massive action except once in a great while. If you're girl, honey, Sasha, come here. They're protecting me, so it's it's, yeah. it's what they do. Um, massive action is okay once in a while, but the actually the, the universe and your brain works on the law of conservation and of least effort. Here, this is what most people really miss. They think I have to do all these things. It's not that your brain is designed to do two things, keep you alive and help you to thrive or to reproduce so that the species continues. It doesn't care what your experience is like, as long as you're surviving it and as long as you're able to reproduce. So when people, people get conditioned to, to get stuck your brain will keep you stuck because that's the only thing it learned to do while, while you were growing up. We're, uh-huh. we're conditioned continually. But from zero to seven is our primary conditioning. It's why Aristotle said, show me the seven-year-old, they'll show you the adult. Yeah. Because by seven, your personality is pretty much set by the conditioning. So we don't actually operate out of present moment experience. We operate out of our conditioned reactions to life and how we've habitually done things. Right. So what you want to do is learn how to create new habits that override the old habits. And that's what I talk about in the book and in my programs and why I created the attitude activator. Because attitude is the number one predictor for success in all areas of your life. So if your attitude is, is right, you can accomplish anything. And so if you expect it to be, this is why Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're correct. 
And if you think you can't, then you're most likely not going to. But if you think you can, then the question is, is will you? And you will based on what you expect or what you think. So if you uh-huh. think I can and I think that I, I will, that I get, that it will pay off for me, then you're like more likely to move ahead. If you think I can and I will, but I'm not probably going to succeed, then it's very likely that you won't. So you have to take hold of your mindset and recondition it to say I can and I will and I am actually doing this. And then, and then that's why I show you how in these different programs or why, I, like I said, the attitude activator. If you expect something to be a problem, it will be a problem. If you expect something to be a, a blessing, it will be a blessing. We know this from the placebo effect. And I spent more than 40 years researching and studying the placebo effect. And I got to tell you, 40 years ago, everything about the placebo effect was, oh, that's placebo, that's placebo, that's placebo. Now you got Joe Dispenza and finally, and thank God, saying you are the placebo, which we've been saying for 40 years. I used to get criticized in books and around the around the world for going, oh, he says you can consciously utilize the placebo effect. Yes, well, that's the whole point. The placebo effect is not the little pill. The placebo effect is what happens when you think there's benefit. Right. right. Back when I started, there were maybe 100 studies on the placebo effect and attitude. Travis Air Force Base did a, a research study into cancer patients and said that attitude was the number one predictor for success. Attitude toward the treatment was the number one predictor for success of the treatment in these cancer patients when they did studies back in the, back four decades ago. And and other people, Norman Cousins and Bernie Siegel and 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 uh, Herbert Benson have discovered, you know, uh, how we relax and what we think and the power of laughter and optimism, how it affects our our physiology because of what we're producing inside our body, chemically. Right, right. So if you, this is why hypnotically people, if you've ever done this, they say, imagine biting into this juicy lemon, like I've sliced a lemon and you smell the lemon and, and suddenly you salivate. Yeah. Your mind doesn't know the difference between something that's real and not real. Uh-huh. So the brain doesn't know whether a fear that's is re- reality-based or not reality-based. So a thought that stops you is, is as significant as something in the real world that could stop you like a wall. So it will always do what it always did based on conditioning, but it doesn't take massive action to keep you alive unless you needed it. That's what adrenaline is for. Right. If you're in the woods or you're driving and you need to steer out of the way or you're being chased by a bear, you take massive action to get away from the bear. Although now they tell you stand still and hold your ground or whatever, you know, don't, don't move because the bear can outrun you and, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. Uh, by the way, don't take my advice regarding bears in the woods. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not but, the, but the point is that the brain looks for the easiest way and the least energetically way to keep you alive. It's not looking to take massive action all the time, but when, when you need it, it's there for you. So the body releases adrenaline so that it, 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 it stops your conscious mind from thinking. It shuts down your peripheral vision so you can spot, you know, a way to run. It takes the energy out of your digestive system and everything else and puts it into your limbs so that you can fight, flight, or flee, right? Fight, freeze, or flee. So that's as an example of massive action. So there's times once in a while where you might need that, but mostly in our day-to-day action or in our day-to-day lives we don't need massive action it's it's counterintuitive and counterproductive what we need is to do those things consistently those small things consistently through time 
repeatedly and correctly that will transform us. And that's what the brain does. It looks for the easiest way to do things, not the hardest way to do things. It's not there to try and break down walls. It's there trick to Trick you, trick you. Well, you know, and so chapter in my book is there's no such thing as sabotage, self-sabotage, because your brain only does what it knows to do. It's not there trying to, to tell you you're wrong or screw you up or anything. It's trying to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. People talk about negativity bias. There's no such thing as negativity bias. What that is is a survival bias. And we humans judge things in the world as negative or positive. There is no negative or positive in the world. There's just events that happen, and, there's, and only human consciousness judges them. Right. I was going to say your judgment and your story and your perspective and your bias. Right. And so what we've done based on conditioning is how we judge ourselves. We either judge ourselves as capable or not capable, as good or not good, as stupid or as smart. We've made all these judgments which may have no basis in reality, but we act as if they're true. And we've dragged them around since childhood. And all of the world around us is conditioned to keep us the same. But you can break free, and that's the point. You can you can begin to discover that you do have choice and that you can do these things. But if you don't do them, you will always remain. This is why if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. Right. And doing what you always have done repeatedly, but expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Right. Because that's what so many people do. They keep banging their head against the wall thinking, well, if I keep banging it, the wall will disappear. And the wall's going, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> When you when you were talking about that, I kept thinking uh, like I got this vision of a parent dragging a kid like the kids like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And and they might be bringing the kid to a birthday party or something. They just they have this resistance and this fighting and this, you know, pushback. And it's like, really? I mean, okay, I, I think like in terms of big, okay, this is where source is directing you. This is where source is directing you and you're fighting and you're pushing back. And if you just let go and allowed yourself like the ease that you that you talk about, it's this ease. It's like it's directing you to what's best for you. Like those feelings of of angst and pushback and fear and frustration and all the things. Okay, those perhaps might not be for you. But the things which I which I love this philosophy and your perspective about this, Rex, is that all of the things for you are the things that bring you joy and that you can celebrate and that you feel happy and content and fulfilled and and all the stuff. That's so beautiful. That's so very beautiful. And I love the analogy of dragging the child somewhere and it could be good for them. That's exactly what the brain does because it doesn't know that the circumstance out there is good for you or bad for you. It just is dragging you wherever it's dragging you. And it may be dragging you away from something or towards something in order because of its conditioning. And the child's going, no, 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 no. You know, the brain's going, no, 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 kind of thing. And and so very that's very that's a really great way to describe it because the, the 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 fact of the matter or the truth of the matter is I have somebody bowing. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. This is what life offers. This is simply about life. You know, when I say that, that you can do these small things to make a lot of significance in your life, you can. That doesn't mean that there won't be uh, opportunities for more difficulty or hardship or challenges. Right. You look at them. Right. How you how you um, go through them is is really really does matter. And if you 
if you think I can't do it, you will never do it. If you think I can do this and I'll find a way, then you can find a way. You know, um, Napoleon Hill, of the 520 people that he modeled who were very rich, said that before they all became successful and, and obscenely successful in their day, most of them experienced incredible hardship and some of their greatest difficulties right before they broke through. Mm. And, and so what we don't realize is that there is, there, is, there is something on the other side of hardship, and that's an equivalent seed of opportunity. So if you're looking at the hardship or the gap between you and your goal, instead of looking at the opportunity that exists, you're missing the point. And so many people miss the point because our society redirects them to look at everything but where they should be looking. You should look within. You should look to your resourcefulness. You should look for what you can and will do and what you can accomplish, not at the circumstances out there that that you think will prevent you. So one of my favorite stories is in Napoleon Hill, and there's countless examples of this. The guy's name is Edward C. Barnes, and he's the first character you meet in Think and Grow Rich. He's also in Laws of Success, but... but um, since that Edward C. Barnes had a, a wish to meet Thomas Edison at the time, which may have started his wish, but quickly became a white-hot obsession. It became a passion. It became a desire. So much so that at some point, when it was hot and fervent enough, he jumped on a, on a freight train as, as a hobo and, and made his way to New Jersey to put Edison on notice that I'm going to be your partner. Huh. When he gets to New Jersey, Edison does meet him. He says the guy's dressed like a hobo. There's nothing remarkable about him at all, except for the look in his eye. And he said, I know I'm smart enough as a, as a boss to hire people who have that look in their eyes. Something going on in this person. So he gave him a job as a janitor in his warehouse. Barnes took the job. He's certainly not a partner, but he took the job and worked as a janitor. Now, you, you, you read a little further and it says for five years, Barnes worked as a janitor with no outward sign of success, with every indication that he was only a janitor. Uh-huh. But within him, he kept his dream and his passion and his white-hot obsession alive that he was, in fact, Edison's partner. And after five years of working as a janitor, he then, an opportunity opened up where the salespeople at Edison couldn't move a dictaphone, a new one that they were trying to move, and they said, we can't sell this. Barnes said, I'll sell it. Edison gave him the opportunity he was so successful at selling it, Edison made him a partner. <laughs> and it was said, made by, made by Edison, sold by Barnes. And uh-huh. Barnes hired a very wealthy man in Florida and became Hill, became Hill, you know, a friend of Napoleon Hill. But the point is, is that he didn't let outside circumstances yeah. bother him. He didn't take, he didn't say, I'm just a janitor. And the people who break through and the people who are successful don't let the appearance of the world prevent them from being successful. Billionaires and billionaires have learned, many of them, not all of them, have learned how to make money. So if they lose their money, they're not worried because they can make it. They don't want to. you know. And some have lost their money. You're faced losing it and have done what other people have done. They've, 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 they've been broken and they've done silly things or killed themselves or whatever because they couldn't see any way out. But many of them, same thing which happens when people go bankrupt. A lot of people who go bankrupt understand that there's really nothing to fear about bankruptcy. You know, that that's a government option for getting out of certain debt and all this kind of stuff. 
but most people fear it. They go, I don't want to do that. You know, it means that the whole thing, life is over, I'm bankrupt. But those who actually have gone through it go, it wasn't pleasant, but it, but I survived it. Uh-huh. So billionaires know how to, to be millionaires. They know how to make their money back. Most people who don't aren't good at making money and who want to make money don't know how to make money. And so they, they are concerned about money and the lack of money all the time. What do winners do? Winners win. So the more that you win, the more you're able to win. So what what my whole goal has been is to set you up so that you can do these small things and make wins along the way. Because if right. you win here and win here and win here, it creates its own momentum. And then you make a habit of winning. And I'm not saying winning and somebody else losing. I'm saying right. your personal best. Right. So you, you can transform yourself easily. And when hardships come up, you're better equipped to handle them. So if you're in the middle of turmoil right now, people need to just kind of stop and understand that there is a way out. There is a way to change their lives. And it's going to be, it may be tiny steps, but those tiny steps in the long run will, will bring them great, great solution, great relief, great, great opportunity to transform their lives in ways that they could never yet think possible. And that's the problem for most people. They don't yet think it's possible and, and you can. Okay. And so I want, I want to know how you relate this. Because I think this is all tied to your own self-belief, like your feelings about yourself. Am I resourceful? Am I resilient? Um, can I figure things out? Um, can I get support and, you know, and help and the, for the things that I'm not, you know, I'm not qualified or as good at? Uh, because I feel like so many times people, people think and feel like I don't have all the things that I need in order to get me through. And I don't want to ask for help because then it'll somehow make me look less than or not enough. Well, I, I operate on the premise that everything that's ever happened to you in your life, every experience you've ever had, every feeling you've ever had, good or bad or whatever, is constitutes a resource. Mm. So you are infinitely resourceful. You are you are I mean think about this for a second. Your own body, our bodies have a myriad of processes that are going on sequentially and simultaneously right now. We can't keep track of them. I mean, I'm sitting here and it's adjusting my body, my body chemistry, my blood sugar. I'm, I'm salivating. I'm blinking. You are. We're respirating. Our cells are <laughs> mutating, doing all these different kinds of things. Uh -huh. You can't. You can't even begin to. You and I can't begin to appreciate how much is going on right now. Sitting, even just sitting still. You know, your fingernails are growing. For goodness' sake. I mean, <laughs> So we can't even begin to understand the amount of neural connections we can make in the brain. And they claim that the amount of neural connections we can make in the brain outnumbers the number of atoms in the universe. And I don't know how they come up with that number. But what they're saying is the ability for the brain to continually make you know, connections and to wire and rewire is just, it's just infinitesimal. It's beyond anything we could imagine. Uh -huh. So what most people do is they're selling themselves short. You know, the conscious mind is just a tiny sliver of everything that we are. And it's designed to do one of two things. One is to make judgments and to set intentions or to get kind of, I want to go there and do that. It can analyze, you know, it can do some research and all this kind of stuff. But the subconscious mind is what carries everything out. So if you say, I want to go get a glass of water, you don't know consciously how you do that. I mean, you consciously know you're doing it. 
but you don't know how you're doing. You don't know how to move your muscles. You can't tell your muscles. Well, people who are paralyzed and who have recovered from paralysis know how incredibly learn. difficult it is to yeah. learn to move their muscles in order to regain their ability to walk or move again. Right. You have to. And But the cool part about it is that the brain has that built into it so that you can learn to do that. I write about him in my book, Jamie Nature, who is an Olympic athlete, competed in two of the Olympic, I think, in in, uh, in 8 and 16, and they didn't compete in 12 for a reason. But, you know, Olympic athletes don't just compete in the Olympics. They compete in all sorts of other things. Was paralyzed in 2016 or 17, quadriplegic. And I found, I think it was April of that year, and I found out around November or December, and I immediately, you know, messaged him and said, if anybody can get through this, you can. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm already making progress. When he was when he was injured and a quadruple, all he could move was his left pectoral muscle. Wow. A little bit. Everything gone. There was no hope that he'd ever walk or move again. Wow. He decided he wanted to he was going to marry his his sweetheart, who's also an Olympic champion, who also, by the way, was on America's Got Talent. She was one of the contestants singing on America's Got Talent. Very Shadon and, and Jamie Nieto. So he undertook the process of learning how to move and walk because he wanted to be able to walk his bride when they got married down the aisle unassisted. I met with him, I think, it, it, you know, uh, a few months later, not not before the wedding, but I mean, after I had messaged him. And we decided to meet at a restaurant, you know, in California. And I'm sitting in the restaurant, and I see his car pull up outside, and it took him more than a half an hour to get from the car into the restaurant. And he's only, you know, 40 feet away or something like that outside the door. But he's in a walker, and he had his girlfriend, his fiance at the time, and, and family assisting him, not moving him, but, but being there for support. He had to move every step consciously. And to watch this process unfold and to watch him, and he came in, you know, and and he's who he is. You know, he talks. He's everything. By the way, you know, we, I have photos somewhere of he and I on the Westworld set. You know, because we used to hang out before before his accident. You know, and and uh, he's an actor. He's a writer. He's a producer. You know, but his life was was kind of stopped by this for a moment. But he said, "I'm an Olympic champion." He had his faith in his God, and he said, "I'm going to get through this." He had to move every everything as consciously as possible. You know, that means deliberately moving his hands and his feet and taking steps forward. Now he can move and do things with greater ease, and he's still still progressing. I write him in about uh, in the book, and he's he's a hero in my life because what he's gone through and what he's what he has demonstrated to the world is just so phenomenal. And other people are doing similar things, but but you you got to get to know Jamie. Nash. He's truly an, a remarkable man, and his wife is a remarkable woman, and they get now have a, a young son, and it's, it's yeah. So people, people, but people stop themselves. And I mean, this guy did it. And one of the reasons why he did it is because, or, or was able to do it is because he conditioned himself as an Olympic athlete. Yeah. What do they do? They rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and prepare and prepare and prepare so that every four years they can perform for a minute or two. And the yeah. people who get to the Olympics represent the, the elite of all the people who have gotten to the Olympics. And then there's like the gold and the silver and the bronze and then people who don't medal and people are disappointed because they don't get the gold and they don't get all the accolades and they don't get all the endorsements. But guess what? These people are top 
champions in the world of what they are able to do. But the only reason they got there is because they got coaching, they got mentoring, they kept at it, they practiced, they conditioned themselves so that when they needed to perform, their body memory took over, right. their own unconscious mind took over. They, they operate without having to think about it. They go, I got to get to that end. And you can watch them set up and prepare when they're going to do it, whether they're a diver or a racer or a hurdler or a high jumper or whatever. You can watch them mentally get into that moment. And then the starting happens and, and their body there takes over. This is what you can learn to do success and happiness and joy and peace and love in your life is to condition yourself for those things so that you live that kind of life. You don't have to be an Olympic champion except in your own life to be your own best you know, to, to find your heart, to find the best of your mindset. Lastly, I mean, because I know people say things like, I'm stupid and I'm dumb and I don't know what to do and I have no way out and I'll never be a success because they've been conditioned to do that. Those are what we would call affirmations. They're negative affirmations. Right. Of, of, they're stuck statements. So I'll ask a rhetorical question. Why do you remember the things you remember in your life? Because there's plenty of stuff we forget. <laughs> I don't know. Do a lot of people remember the ne more negative things than the positive things? Oftentimes, some do, some do. But, but the point is you remember it because it is a high signal value. So if you had a really special, say, eighth birthday, you remember that. If you had a really horrible 12th birthday, you remember that. Uh -huh. There's plenty of stuff that goes on day in, day, day in and day out that you don't know. The brain has a way of of filtering this out. If you go into a factory, for example, and it's really, really loud, or if you buy a motorcycle and you ride with another person, at first you can't hear each other because the noise is really loud, but the brain makes it, diminishes it in the long run. Mm. So you spend enough time in the factory or enough time in the motorcycle, people are talking like, like you know, like they're just talking like normal people. They're not yelling. Right, right. The brain filters it. So the brain filters all the stuff out that doesn't have high signal value. You don't need it, you know, but if you were, you know, hurt as a child, emotionally, physically, mentally, or however, you're, you may remember that. If you're hurt as an adult, you remember that. So it remembers the high points, the stuff with a lot of emotional. A lot of impact. A lot of feeling, a lot of uh -huh, feeling. Uh -huh. so people have these statements, I suck, I this, I'm stupid, I that. But they're tied to negative emotions and they're tied to events in their life. They may have forgotten the event or whatever, but they now repeat these things out of habit. Like an Olympic athlete, but to the dark side. Right. <laughs> what you want to be able to do is to start, stop, notice when you notice yourself saying those things, and then just stop doing that. Yeah. If you kept banging your head against the wall at some point, you know, you might say, maybe I should stop this. This kind of hurts. <laughs> right, right. You know, but, but you'll only do that when you decide to stop it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and some people bang for a long, long time, and other people bang once or twice and go, okay, no more. What you want to be able to do is, is to shift it. So you become aware that you're saying something that's less than glorious to yourself. Now you want to say, I'm smart, I'm capable, I'm lovable, I can do anything, I put my mind to and all that. And it seems foreign. And you go, hey, you know, and it's kind of like this. You look in the mirror and go, I might wait. Yeah, because at first you're like, I don't really believe that. Right. And the mirror looks back when you go, I'm my ideal weight. And it goes, no, you're not. You're way overweight. You're a slob. You're this, you're that. Or you're underweight. You're skinny. It's because it isn't true. It, it, while it may be true, it isn't true to you yet mm. what you're affirming. It's not familiar to you yet. 
what's familiar to you and what's what's your habit is the negative stuff. So the new stuff seems foreign. It seems more difficult. It seems less likely. Right. It doesn't seem real. <clears throat> so you make it real by by continuing to do it. But you have to do it a different way. You can't just go, you know, every day and every way I'm better and better. You have to tie it to emotions. You have to jump up and down, sting, skip, do whatever, laugh, smile, do those things that add positive emotion to it. Go, I am the greatest. I am the best. I can do anything. I love myself. Get really big about it. Do it in private so you're not embarrassed. <laughs> but do it. Sing it. Dance it. The problem with a lot of people is they sit in their chairs and they go, I suck. I can't do anything. As, as opposed to getting out and singing and dancing and joining and skipping and hopping through life, you know, if we only smile more, smiling, I mean, I, we've, we've been teaching people to smile and laugh. Um, we brought to this country from India laughter meditation in the, in the 80s. Now you hear about it, laughter, yoga, and all this good stuff, but I, I didn't bring it up. I mean, I, we used to meditate in the desert like in 1980, between 80 and 85, doing a laughter meditation where we sit for an hour and just laugh. And at first, it seems very foreign. You know, you have to force it. But after a short period of time, the laughter mechanism takes over and you laugh for an hour. That laughter process is so transformative because you're changing the way you breathe and the way you take in oxygen and the, your hydrogen, your your carbon dioxide to oxygen ratio, you're actually in hyperventilating a little bit. Right. And in doing so, you're off balance. But when you're laughing and when you have a great belly laugh, you're actually freer than anywhere in the world. If you can learn to laugh at your problems, you're free of your problems. Mm. So the question becomes is why would you wait to laugh at your problems if you can laugh at them now? So start laughing more. Start smiling. We know that just the act of smiling releases positive chemicals and hormones in the brain. <coughs> smiling, raising your eyebrows, looking like you're alive, sitting up or right. putting your chin out, looking at um, is the kind of things that you do when you're confident, yet most people don't won't do those things because they'll sit here and go, I don't know what to do and I'm right. stuck. Yeah, right. if you do that, you're going to stay that way. If you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. If you want to be different, you got to know that in order to change your life, you have to change the things you're doing in your life. Right. But the goal is not to do more. The goal is to be authentic. Smile and be happy. Laugh and be happy. Enjoy love, peace, and add into these into your life these things. And celebrate. You know, I, my tagline is celebrate everything. Because yeah. it's all good. It's all a gift. And if you think it's a blessing, it'll be a blessing. If you think it's a problem, it'll be a problem. And for most people, what they consider a problem is just a mental packet of energy. It's mm -hmm. just a thought. And for 40 years, I've started workshops by going, what stops most people? And they'll say fear and they'll say this and that. But what is that? It's a thought. Yeah. And thoughts are thoughts become things. Thoughts become things, right? <laughs> so change your thoughts, and you can change, transform your life. And so that's why I do what I do. That's why I've been sharing this stuff for over forty years. That's why I have the Mind Design Program, the Ultimate NLP Program, the Change Your Thoughts that Transform Your Life, and all the attitude like, because because people wake up at different times and they go, what can I do? Where do I need to go? What can I do? And I go, just jump in, dive in, you know, join us, dive in something and you'll see how easy it is to change and where it, where it isn't, it gets easier. And, you know, and, and then when, when things change in the world or personal things come up, you're much better equipped. I, I mean, people go, so your life is perfect now. And I go, it is perfect, but that includes upheavals that includes right. 
financial disasters. That includes family members or, or people having all sorts of problems for myself included. It is perfect. It is perfectly beautiful the way it is. And all of it is for me to wake up more. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what life is about. It's how we wake up and how we show up in the right. world. How we be. How we be. So how we be, because when you're talking, when you're talking about, you know, this thinking part, it's like, who are you in your being? And if you are not, um, if who you are in your being is not bringing you a sense of relief and joy and fun and excitement and peace and love and all of those things that are these higher vibrational energies that make us feel good about being alive. No, you're so right, and the work you do is so important. And 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 for us, I know this, and for me, it's always been a spiritual journey. But yes, was, but back you know, 40 years ago, you couldn't say that as much. I'd go into corporations with the idea that it was a spiritual journey. If I said I'm doing a spiritual workshop, they'd go, "We don't want that. We want to. We need to do you know efficiency and mindset and right. how to communicate and, and problem solving and all." So I would right. go and do those. But I would I would have long hair and a dangle earring. Woo! I want to see pictures of that, Rex. But I'd come in. I'd come in in a suit because you had to. And my goal was to see if I could get out of my suit into a t-shirt and stocking feet within a half an hour by uh-huh. by pacing the corporate culture and by and by asking permission, essentially saying, "Hey, you know what? We're all here. How about we try something different? Let's get outside of the box of our thinking. And maybe we need to do the like, lift. Can I can I take my coat off for a second? And they go, "Well, yeah, yeah, okay." So I take my coat off. I go, "So that feels a whole lot better. You know, I'm a whole lot more comfortable now. I feel freer." Wouldn't you like to feel free too? And they go, well, yeah. I go, well, maybe you want to take your coat. Off. And you go, well, all right. They take your coat. So you have to kind of pace where you're at. So my uh-huh. journey has always been a spiritual journey. It's always been about enlightenment and awareness and, and spirituality and meditation. But I've had to talk about it in different ways. Right. Because people aren't always ready to hear that. But it is how do you wake up to, to the ultimate truth about yourself. And that is you are everything that is. If we take you out of the equation, what is isn't isn't there anymore. I mean, think about that for a second. When you, people wake up in the morning, the world may have gone on without them, or maybe it didn't. We don't really know. We assume that it does. I mean, you know, they're, they're, I'm not saying there isn't an objective reality, but I'm saying that the people, <coughs> if people transition out of the planet, they're not on the planet anymore. For them, it's no longer that reality. It's a different reality. If somebody's in a coma and they wake up after 10 years and they don't know what's going on, that reality didn't exist for them. They could say, yeah, for 10 years I heard everybody talking, but they didn't know what was going on in the world. My point is is that people are not aware of how uniquely fabulous they are, how incredible they are. Uh, we talk about the universe as the universe as if it's separate. There is no separation. You are the universe. We are, yes. Yeah. You are universe. And when we understand it, so I say I'm an owner, I'm, I own this planet, this is my experience, and we all co-create it together. Yeah. And and I want people to come into that kind of power to live life on your terms and create the life that you want, and people can. And that's and that's the good news. So. It's like we're, I, especially um, on Clubhouse, because everybody has their little pictures, it just reminds me of this vision I have of the world, it's like we're all fractals of this same beautiful energy, right? So how are you showing up? Who are you being? What are your thoughts creating for yourself and, you know, and emanating out into the world? Because this is, this is all like mastering our own energy. 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. John, that's beautiful. I have I have two analogies. One, I think, is mine. The other one, that's obvious to everybody. You take a drop of the ocean out and you put it on a table. That drop on the table is still all of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Still the exact makeup of, yeah. what it, of, of, of the source. So there's no difference whether it's here or in the ocean. But I, I, I use the analogy of, you know, you have a, a, a mirror and you smash that mirror on the table and it breaks into all sorts of tiny little shards and dust and everything else. All those little shiny shards and dust is still the mirror. Right. It's, it's just now in a different form, right? It's now scattered. Well, we those are those little shards and those little pieces. Mm. And we reflect each other. Yep. And we reflect the reality around us. But we are that mirror. We are source. We, you know, the only reason why we don't think we're source is because of the conditioning of our head. We're born into this world. We condition. And it's time for us to wake up to who we truly are. And we're source. We are, we are, we are creators. And until we own that, we, you know, and that's the problem with people, is they act as victims or as effective things as opposed to saying, I'm responsible for, my, for what I do and how I do it and, and life. And, and when you take responsibility for it, you have the, you know, like Jamie said, I want to I walk down the aisle unassisted on my wedding day. With my, and he did. And he did. That's the intention and figured out how to do it. Yeah. Nobody could tell him how to do it. So what, so what do you want your life to look like? Who do you want to become? Ultimately, is who you already are inside. You just have to figure out a way to express it to the outside world. I mean, people, people you know, the, the question is, is, what is your definition of success? For, the, for a lot of people, it's to have a lot of things, you know, and to live in a big house and have a jet or a mansion or a car or, you know, whatever, or to be productive or have fame or have a certain amount of money. For other people, it's to live happily and joyfully and loving with the people around them. And if they have those things, great. If they don't have those things, they don't feel less than. Right. But there's so many people with all those things that feel less than because they don't have the heart and the, and the, and the journey and the relationship and the people that were important. There are a lot of, a lot of people right now who at the later stage of their life go, if I had to do it all over again, I would have made my family, my family predominant in my life. You know, I would have hung out with the people that I loved or who loved me. I'm very blessed in that I got divorced. My kids were six and and, uh, six and two at the time. And I made the decision that I would be a stay-at-home dad. I reined everything in. I didn't go behind the scenes. I, I dropped out of public life, but then did some corporate control. But always did it within the confines of, could I get home at nighttime to be with my children? And I got to be a stay-at-home dad and raise my children and work out of my house and do consulting and corporate stuff and some public you know, events and, and stuff and, and, and contribute to people. But, I've, but, but for me... I wanted to be the dad first and foremost. That they, my children are gifts to me, so I was like, I want to raise my children and have them yeah. flourish in the world because they're gifts to the world. So I, I have, you know, I, I blessed it that way. And people go, well, what happened to you? You know, during that decade, you disappeared. And I'm, well, this is what I was doing. And I'm, you know, they go, well, but you went out of public view, you know, and, and people have forgotten about you. And I go, yeah, well, so now people are getting to remember me again. And, Nobody can forget about Rex Sykes. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, people, I, I show up in places and think, oh, my God, it's Rex. I remember you from, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years. But but I have no regrets. My life is what my life has been. The path is all the path has been. 
I've had phenomenal success. I mean, I've, I've, I've lost everything, you know, multiple times. It's all whatever it is, but all of it is for us. It's for me to wake up to, and it's for us to wake up to. So if you can celebrate through it, it's, it's beautiful. If you can't celebrate through it, then it could be a problem. So I, you know, I want to help people learn how to celebrate. Yeah. somebody Gratitude. Somebody, somebody said to me this past week that what if, what if all of it is bliss? Well, all of it is bliss. Right. That's the, that was the point. It's like all the struggle, all the challenges, all the, they're all part of our journey of our life because without the, without all of it, we wouldn't be who we are in this moment. And so I think it's so beautiful that you, I mean, you talk about celebrating everything, celebrating who you are, celebrating what you're going through, celebrating uh, what's becoming because you're constantly growing and evolving. And, and it really is this discovery process of. Well, and, and, and I also recommend putting a guard in front of your lips and in front of your mind. <laughs> if you call things a problem, they're going to be a problem. Right. So you can reframe it. I don't like the word challenges because it's been substituted for problems. So people say I have a challenge, but it takes on the same emotional, you know, but you can say there's a situation in my life that I'm learning to explore opportunities. Uh-huh. Opportunities. Yeah. A big word. You know, um, Jose Silva used to say, call it a project. And I like that. I have oh, I like that. I know. I know. I love that. I, I, I'm working on this project and I'm finding out what I can do in this area because, you know, thoughts become things. So if you focus on it being a problem or a limitation, it's going to be. If right. you focus on it being a difficulty, it's going to be. If you say, and people do this all the time, they go, I'm sick. I have a cold. I have this. I have that. And I go, why would you affirm that? Right. You know, or I'm, I'm, I am I'm have no money. I'm broke. I don't know. Why do you affirm that? It's historical. It's, it may be what you're accurately. It's reality. Yeah. But reality is, is up to what you create and what you decide and how you celebrate it. So if you decide, I mean, think about this. And I talk about the Wright brothers a lot. The Wright brothers did not know how to fly. They were bike, you know, bike manufacturers, you know, and they decided they wanted to learn how to make it heavier than air aircraft. And so they started this, this, competition essentially to get in the air before anybody else did and their own father is going you guys are idiots give it up <laughs> you're you know you guys are of the devil this is crazy this is stupid. Mm. but every time they failed instead of quitting they took it as feedback what did they need to adjust right. what could they do differently what what might they try they were experimenting and so they would try it and then it wouldn't work they try something else it wouldn't work they try something else to get a little bit closer they try something else it didn't and then once they flew and they got off the ground for 11 seconds, they knew that they could do it. Now all they had to do was tweak it. So they didn't know how to fly until after they actually flew. All the while they were trying, they were experimenting to see what might work. Well, that's what life gives us is that we're in the experimental phase. We're constantly experimenting. And guess what? We're going to fly if we stick with it. You know, that, that's that's the outcome of our evolution is to actually end up, you know, doing it, you know, to get to the destination, to close that gap and be there. You know, and this is why Neville said, live from the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Yeah. He's not the first to say that. The ancients have been saying that ever since, you know, the dawn of written stuff. But Neville said it in a way that most people can understand it, yet most people tend to overthink it. Live from the feeling of the wish fulfilled, meaning live how you want to live now instead of putting it off for the future. Right. 
embrace it. You don't have to walk around telling people you own a Ferrari if you don't. You could, but you don't have to. <laughs> but that's what Edward Barnes did. In his head, he was Edison's partner. It didn't right. mean that he told everybody he was Edison's partner. It meant that he kept his passion alive, right. that he became the partner. If you want to live a happy, free, blissful life, be that person in your own being first, right. Right. and you'll find it in the world. And, and, and here's the thing, the, the importance of someone like you who can coach somebody into this process or doing programs or workshops or, you know, online stuff or in, in person is that a lot of people don't know how to do it on their own. They can't do it on their own and they don't want to have to reinvent the wheel. So some of us have done some of the heavy lifting for right, them. Right. And in doing that, we can share with them because we've traveled in advance of them what it is, you know. People say, Rex, you're a leader. And I go, I'm no leader. Don't call me a leader. I don't want to be a leader. I'm a tour guy. Uh-huh. I love that. I walk with you along. I love that. Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? You know, we're all in this together. I'm not there to lead you. I'm there to help you, to guide you, to, to help you connect with your max, with all of your resources so you, you can live life on your terms. You're a beautiful, beautiful tour guide. Rex. Well, thank you. And, and likewise, likewise. That's why being here with you is so, so honoring and humbling and important. And, and this is one of the things that I really love about you because you are, you are this beautiful Renaissance man. You had all of these incredible experiences, both, you know, the highs and the lows, and you always show up and just give give, give, give your wisdom, your heart, your, you know, your encouragement, your support. I mean, you're such a beautiful human being. Uh, so I'm humbled and honored that you have been here with me too. You're so, you're incredible. You're incredible. I, I, I love being with you. You know, I love this. Okay. So the last question that I, that I asked my guests, because I'm trying to be aware of our time uh, is how, because the podcast is called wake up to real love. How do you define real love? Wow, what an incredible question. It's a love that transcends boundaries of possessiveness. It's the openness. It's the freedom to to give and to be exactly who and what you are and allow other people to be the same. It's, it's recognizing that we are one and we look like we're many. And at the same time, to honor those many as the one. So it's... it's it, 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 it's it's permissive. It's not restrictive. Mm. It, it is bliss, as you said. It's beautiful. It, 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 it's it's the ability to self discover and allow others to do the same. May I may I add something to that? Sure, of course. One of the things that I you know I, Napoleon Hill talked about that years years was lost on me. He talked about the mastermind concept and. How the signing of the declaration was the ultimate mastermind that these founders of this country came together and signed this document, created this. Well, they were a bunch of rich white property owners, slave owners, you know, very flawed people who were responding to the tyranny on the other side of the pond, came over right. here. The other side of the pond said, wait a second, you can't, you can't run away. We're going to grab you. We had these battles and everything else. So they craft this document to say, here's what we want. And they weren't writing it for everyone of every color, of every nation, of every. They were writing it for rich white landowner males, essentially. It got extended to everybody eventually, in theory, but, but the point was that they crafted this document at the risk of their own lives. And ultimately, we assembled colonies, and those colonies became states. So we had 50 United States. 
But the reason they were able to do that is they had a purpose and an intention, whether it was flawed or not, but they had a purpose and an intention to create something that they wanted for the people that they wanted it for. And they did it in harmony. Mm. They may have had to hammer out a few things, but they did it in harmony. What's, what you see in the world today is so much divisiveness and so much hate and people arguing over mental concepts. They argue in politics, party over people. They are over concepts in religion. They argue science. They are, we are so fractionated, so split, so divisive that it's always constantly butting heads. Right. Social media, while being the most incredible gift that we have, is also one where a lot of people butt heads and lose friends, you know, because everybody now has a voice and they can say whatever they want. Instead of going, I have, when COVID hit, I was, I was like, this is perfect. We had, we had Zoom, we had StreamYard, we had Clubhouse, we had social media. Think of what if it happened 30 years ago. We'd have been isolated in our home. Right. You know, we'd have right. a telephone, but it wouldn't be the kind of experience that it was. So when we locked down, we had something that could keep us connected. In Italy, they were going to their doors and windows and singing, you know, right. and stuff like, I mean, things like that. So... While the world is divided and all this shit is going on, it's also really good stuff. While yeah. social media tends to go to the basis of stuff in many ways and, and put about how we're divided, it also has the opportunity in, 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 in cases and examples where transformation in countries you know, around the world have, has occurred because people have been brought together and united on a purpose. Gandhi immobilized the British Empire and brought them to their knees in India by having a completely nonviolent movement right. of thought. He was able to unite the people around a, a positive purpose. Martin Luther King attempted the same thing, sadly, like Gandhi, he was assassinated. And, and you know, and, and we never got quite there as a country yet. Now, that's not that India's not having problems, too. I mean, you know, or, or problems with other countries. But the point is, is that there's so much good and so much positive power yeah. and so much resourcefulness in the universe and inside you and I and each and every one of us who are watching and listening that to not tap into that is almost criminal or sinful, you know, to, to miss that yeah. opportunity, you know, don't let this be lost on you. Find your inner self, your true authentic self and, and allow yourself to flourish in ways that, that you can't even begin to imagine yet. Yeah. I, I always say like, what, can you imagine your best self as yeah. and step into that? Yes. Yes. Step into that because that's where all the love and the connection and the beauty and the joy and the peace and the fun and the adventures and the curiosity and the exploration and the expansion. I mean, that's where it all is, is right here, right here. And here's a, here's an important point that is, it may not seem like it because of our habitual conditioning, but you actually have choice. Right. You're actually, even in the brain, there's a synapse, there's a split second. When you inhale, you stop, and then you exhale. It's not one continuous movement. Your brain, it has to take the energy from one area and jump over a gap, you know, infinitesimal in brain time, but there's literally a gap. So while we have habits that seem like we can, may never get out of them and react from, you actually have the ability to, to learn to choose and to learn to respond. But if you don't start choosing... You will never start choosing. Right. So the choice now is to discover that you have choice to do something today that will impact your future in a positive way. If you choose to do nothing by doing nothing about it, it'll stay the same. 
Right. If you take take this moment to say, I want it to be different and I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it different and then start doing those things, you can, you'll wake up to all the different choices that you actually have. You'll wake up to real love. To real love. So you you are a living testimony and testament to the the mantra of this podcast is really the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. You know, it's what you tell yourself, how you feel about yourself, how you show up in the world, how, what you're allowing in, what you know. It's like you have done so much beautiful internal work and uh you just have this, you know, I mean, like your background because it's all light. It's like you have such a huge light that sh- that shines from you, Rex. So thank you, thank you, thank you for for everything that you do. And really, it's not what you do. It's who you are. You're a beautiful, beautiful thank soul. Thank you. I mean, and, and just la- lastly, I mean, I didn't like myself. I hated myself. I had to learn how to love myself. Mm-hmm. And then in learning how to love myself, actually fell in love with myself. Yeah. So, and if I can do that as big bonehead as I have been... <laughs> Anyone can do that. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So tell so tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, read your book, find out about all of your work. Sure. So this is the book. You can find it on Amazon. And um, and when you get the book, if you... <laughs> okay. Okay. Honey. Oh, the realities of our life. The universe provides, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, my website is rexsykes.com. It's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. And if you go there, I have a newsletter and a free gift. I encourage people to sign up for the free gift to get the, and get the newsletter. It's got tips and suggestions and, and all sorts of practical stuff and reviews and different things. It's, it tends to be a little bit haphazard, but that's okay. I do a blog. You get the blog. It's called Daily Inspiration Gratitude. It's, 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 it's there. You can get it from the website. Or at least you could. Some of the website is undergoing a, a transformation, so I'm not sure what's visible. I have a YouTube channel, Create Your Best Life with Rex. Uh, you can find on, on YouTube. But if you go to rexsykes.com forward slash book with your receipt for the soft cover or hardcover uh, from Amazon and put it in the box, there's instructions there, I'll give you a $497 bonus training called the Mastery Loop at no charge. It's an online program on how to master your, your mindset, your emotions, your words, your behaviors, your, you know, and any skill or talent that you want to do. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's an include, it's a beautiful program I've been teaching for more than 30 years. And it's how the brain works and how we master things. So we want to move ahead. Very um, generous offer, Rex. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. So I'm sure because I've been inspired. <laughs> Um, by this conversation and your beautiful energy that you carry with you anytime that I show up where you are. Um, So please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Write a five-star review. Share with all your friends because like Rex was was talking about, it's like we don't know the impact that this could have, you know? So we're trying to share this love and this beauty and this, you know, full-bodied beautiful celebratory um, experience that we call life experiment (laughs) and experience we call life 
to, to help other people experience the beauty and the love and the joy that life has to offer. So please share with your friends. And if you want to get in touch with me, find out more information about me. I'm on all the social media um, platforms as either Don Richard or The Awakening with Don. And I have uh, one-on-one programs, group programs. Um, I'm creating courses that I'm going to release, a membership site. I've got a lot of stuff in the works. So if you want um, any information about that, just contact me. Um, and so, Rex, I'm so, so honored and grateful and excited and privileged to to be here in your vortex. <laughs> like, oh, you're such an incredible human being. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Right back at you. And I love your podcast and I love you. And I love sharing. I love you too. Wherever we end up, you know, on Clubhouse or elsewhere. So I really thank you uh, for this opportunity to be with you today and be on your show. Thank you. Anytime. You are welcome. Anytime. Anytime you want to have any conversation about anything because I'm up for it. Awesome. Me too. (laughs) All right. So every day, um, create your best life and wake up to more and more real love. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you next time. Take care. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And, of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.